Well, turn uh, turn with me, um, please, to Luke chapter two to the passage we read earlier. Luke chapter, sorry, Luke chapter one. Luke chapter one, verse twenty six to thirty eight. Luke chapter one, verse twenty six to thirty eight. And let's pray. Uh, Father, help me to declare the wonders and the glories of the good news of Jesus, and help us all by the overshadowing presence and power of the Holy Spirit to be able to not just conceive of the good news of Jesus, but to receive it in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, the manager of Queen's Park Rangers QPR Football Club said this in October, so just a few weeks ago. He said this, integrity and loyalty are big things for me. I can't be the first person to run away from the ship. Now, he had joined QPR as manager just in June, so just a few months ago. But in October, another football club, Wolves, Wolverhampton Wanderers, had come looking for him. And that's when he said what he said. He rejected their approach in October. Integrity and loyalty are big things for me. I can't be the first person to run away from the ship. And the QPR fans were delighted. Last week, however, Michael Beale signed on the dotted line to become manager of Glasgow Rangers. And uh, one QPR fan has written, he hasn't merely disappointed us, he's broken our hearts. He hasn't merely disappointed us, he's broken our hearts. And Michael Beale had made big claims in fact, he had made moral claims, hadn't he? Integrity and loyalty. But a few word, a few weeks later, a few weeks later, his words had turned to dust as he signed to become manager of Glasgow Rangers. Now, there are some big claims made in the passage we read earlier from Luke chapter 1. But as we shall see, God's promises do not turn to dust. No, they are, they are stronger than reinforced titanium and will outlast even the hardest diamond. And I want us to see three things from this passage and then a response uh, that instructs us and teaches us as to how we should respond. So firstly, then we see the promise. Uh, verses 26 to 33, God always keeps his promises. Secondly, the problem we don't always understand how God will keep his promise. That's verse 34. We don't always understand how God will keep his promise. That's the problem. And then thirdly, the power. Or as you might say in Scotland, the power. The power or the power. Nothing is impossible for the God who always keeps his promises. Verse 35 to verse 37. So after that, you've got the, um, the promise, the problem the power, and then what is Mary's response and what do we learn from it? In verse 38, what is Mary's response and what do we learn from it? And we see in Mary's response a humble submission and trusting faith in the God who always keeps his promises. Verse 38. Firstly, then, the promise God always keeps his promises, as we've just sung in our service. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 33. Michael Beale, he made a promise in October 2022, which he broke in November 2022. 
And if we're honest, we sometimes break promises even more quickly than that. I'll be in touch in the next day or two. I'll pray about that. Within a day or two, we've forgotten. We sometimes make our promises lightly, don't we? And then we, we toss them like a pair of old socks into the back of the drawer and forget about them. But God never makes promises lightly, and nor does he ever toss them into the back of a drawer and forget about them. So look at verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. And do you see that six months earlier, Gabriel had appeared to the priest Zachariah in the temple in Jerusalem. And Gabriel had in his pocket a promise from God in verse 13. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And here is Gabriel on the move again, sent by God to deliver another message, this time to Nazareth in Galilee and to a young woman called Mary. But what does Luke, what does Luke want us to know here in verse 26? He wants us to know that God has kept his promise to Zechariah and to Elizabeth. He wants us to know, therefore, that God will keep his promise to Mary as well. That God will keep his promise to Mary as well. But God does not just keep his promise for six months or nine months. God keeps his promise over hundreds of years, even thousands of years. Where is the action taking place in our reading today, it is taking place in Nazareth, Nazareth of Galilee. Nazareth of Galilee. What did we read last week? If you were here last week, Isaiah chapter 9. We read a prophecy made 700 years before Jesus was born. In Galilee of the Gentiles. In the future, God will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. 700 years later, God is honoring Galilee of the Gentiles. And just a couple of chapters earlier in Isaiah, in Isaiah 7, verse 14, we read, what do we read in Isaiah 7, verse 14? The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, not just to a child, to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. 700 years. God always keeps his promises even if they take hundreds of years to come true. Go back further in time to a thousand years before Jesus was born. Here's the promise that God made to David, to King David. Second Samuel 7 verse 16. Your house and your kingdom shall last, shall endure before me forever. Forever. Your throne shall be established forever. And what do we read in our passage in Luke 1? A thousand years later, a millennium later. Verse 30, the angel said to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor or grace with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father. Who? David. How long will he reign? He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. 
his kingdom will never end. Never end. That's a promise that God made to David a thousand years before Christ was born. And if we were to go back even further, another thousand years, 2000 years BC, the promise to Abraham that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you, Abraham, and through your descendants. And in fact, Mary picks that up at the end of her song, which we know is the Magnificat. Look at verse 54. Look, chapter 1, verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Just as he promised. God always keeps his promises, whether they are short-term or long-term. So any promises in Luke chapter 1, verse 33, that Jesus' rule in the kingdom, in the kingdom of God, will never end, we know that God is speaking the truth and that his word can be trusted. And if we apply that to ourselves, when God promises that his mercies never fail, never fail, his compassions never fail, they are new every morning, then every new morning, every new day, we can trust God to keep his word. And when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, everything you need for food and for clothes, all these things will be added to you as well. We can trust that God will keep his promise. Even in times of high inflation and rising costs. Here's the opportunity to trust God, to put our faith in the God who has said, through Jesus, seek first the kingdom and seek first God and he will add to you all that you need so that you do not need to worry about what you will eat or what you will wear. How about another promise? You could pick many promises, couldn't you? But how about this well-known one from Romans 8, verse 28? We know that in all things God works together for the good of those who love him. Sometimes it takes a long time for us to see that promise coming true. But God always keeps his promises. And the story of the birth of Jesus shows that time and time again. But what's the problem that we often have? And what is the problem that Mary has? Well, the problem is that we don't always understand how God will keep his promises. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Her circumstances, they seem to contradict. They do contradict what God has promised. And likewise, often our circumstances can seem to contradict what God has promised. So Mary has heard the amazing promises of God. She is engaged to Joseph. It says that in verse 27. And yet, it's interesting, isn't it, that somehow she knows she knows either instinctively or perhaps she knows that this is going to happen immediately and that Joseph is not going to play any part in the birth or conception of this special child. This is going to happen before they get married. But how is it going to happen? How will this be? Mary asked Gabriel, since I am a virgin, since I've not known a man. The story is told. Um, I don't tell this story for a cheap laugh, but to make a serious point, 
The story is told of a mum taking her teenage daughter to see the doctor because her daughter is being sick in the morning. And after an examination and a urine test, the doctor says, your daughter is pregnant. She is expecting a baby. And the mother protests, that's impossible. My daughter's never been with a man. She would never do such a thing. And the doctor goes over to the window and stands for a long time, scanning the skies. What are you looking for? asks the mum. And the doctor replies, the last time something like this happened, a star appeared in the east. Well, the point of that is that virgin, virgin births don't happen today. Not in humans. There are virgin births in the rest of biology. Some insects and even the Komodo dragon can reproduce both sexually and asexually. There is parthenogenesis. It does happen in the natural world, but not in humans. And the, the point is they didn't happen 2,000 years ago either. And Mary, yes, she believes the promise of God, but she does not know how God is going to keep his promise. How is it going to be possible for a virgin to conceive? And we ask ourselves the same kind of question. How can Romans 8 verse 28 be true in my present circumstances of suffering and sadness? How can it be true? How will this happen that this will work together for my good? How will it be? How is it going to happen that food and clothes will be given to me when I seek first the kingdom of God in this time of raging inflation and fuel prices going through the roof? How? Well, the answer, the answer the scripture give us is the power of God, the power of God. For nothing is impossible for the God who always keeps his promises. Nothing is impossible for the God who always keeps his promises. So in verse 35 to 37, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, Mary, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. No word from God will ever fail. Your translation might say nothing will be impossible with God. It's a tricky phrase in the original. I think I put away the sheet of paper, but if I were to, if I were to read out to you a translation of the Greek word for word, it would not make any sense to you. So they try to get through the sense of here. It's nothing is impossible for God, or as the NIV translates it, no word from God will ever fail. No word from God will ever fail. Mary's child will be conceived through the work of the Holy Spirit and the power of the God Most High. That is how the son of Mary, who as to his earthly nature is a descendant of David, will also be the son of God. The son of God. We will never fully understand how the infinite, uncreated creator who existed and exists before time and space. Think about it, beyond time and space. How can such a God ever be confined to the cramped darkness of Mary's womb? A tiny embryo smaller than the nail on your finger. 
How can that be? How can that be? It is by the power of the God Most High and power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God whose word can never fail and for whom nothing is impossible. It is by the Holy Spirit and the power of the Most High that God is contracted to a span. We had those words in the order of service. That's a span. God is contracted to a span incomprehensibly made man. Our minds can't take it, and it's incomprehensible. At last weekend, was it just last weekend we were down in York, David? Seems a long time ago at the Presbytery meeting. And last Saturday in York, Jared Charles was telling us that many Muslims, Muslims believe that Christians worship three gods. Now, if I were to ask you what three gods they think we worship, I wonder what you would say. But many of them believe we worship God the Father, Mary, and the baby Jesus. That's what we think, some of them think that Christians worship. And of course, if we know the Bible, and we know anything about the Christian faith, we don't worship three gods, we worship one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And many, many Muslims also believe that God had a physical relationship with Mary, a sexual relationship with Mary. But we don't believe that. The Bible does not teach that. We believe what we read in the gospel. We believe that just as the cloud, think of the cloud overshadowing the tabernacle at the end of Exodus, Exodus chapter 40. Just as the cloud overshadowed the tabernacle with the glory of God, just as the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters at the beginning of creation in Genesis 1, so the Spirit of the Most High will overshadow Mary, creating life. bringing together in a way which we will never understand the infinite and eternal Son of God who is God the Son to human flesh so that the Holy One to be born, the Holy One to be born, the sinless One to be born will be called the Son of God. Well, there is much that remains mysterious about the incarnation, about the conception of God. Just as there is much that remains mysterious, we cannot get our heads around what happened on the cross when Jesus died. And there is much that sometimes remains mysterious in our own Christian lives and Christian experience. But, as Dale Ralph Davis has said, it is not that God wants you to be ignorant of things, but to be content that he is competent, to be content that God is able, that God is competent, that God can do the impossible. God may not want you to speculate, but to adore. In fact, I would put it stronger than that. I would say God does not want us to speculate, not foolishly anyway, but to worship. And that leads us to our final point. So we've looked at the promise, the problem, and the power. What is Mary's response, and what do we learn from it in verse 38? I am the Lord's servant. Behold, there is a behold in there. <laughs> the NIV doesn't like translating behold. Behold, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. 
How does Mary respond to God and all that she has heard? Mary responds to God in humble submission and trusting faith. She is content. She is content that the Lord is competent. Do you see that? She is content to accept that the Lord is able to do the impossible. She says, I am the Lord's servant. I am not the Lord's co-redemptrix. You think, what does that word mean? Again, that is teaching that comes not from the Muslims, but from the Catholic Church, that Mary in some way helps Jesus to act as redeemer. No, she does not say I'm co-redeemer or co-redemptrix with Jesus. I am the Lord's servant, and God is my Savior. I am the servant of the Lord. I need a Savior. Chapter 1, verse 47. So let it be to me according to your words. Hi, folks, we're coming to an end here, but I want us to think seriously about this humble submission because it's not a popular concept in today's world, is it? We are told repeatedly, not just the children at school, although the children at school are being told repeatedly, we are also being told repeatedly by the articles we read, by the programs we see in TV, by what we read online, we are told repeatedly that we are at the center of our own universe. We are told repeatedly that we should live, let it be to me according to my words. Let it be to me according to my word. And then we wonder, we wonder why so much of modern life is marked by self-entitlement and a spirit of selfishness or self-centeredness. And folks, especially if we are Christians today, you know, we can be affected more than we think by living and breathing in this polluted air. We can come to think that humbly serving the Lord is something like an optional extra, like putting cream and marshmallows on your hot chocolate. Some of you might not think that is an optional extra. <laughs> Maybe that's a necessity. But you know, or putting a, or getting an extended warranty or guarantee on your fridge freezer. You know, you can take it or leave it. No. We need to be careful. I speak to myself. I speak to myself as I speak to you. We need to be careful that our service, that our service to the Lord is not done on our own terms. As if we were, well, maybe not co-redeemers, as if we were co-lords, would it be co-domine with Jesus? Friends, if we serve the Lord only when it suits us and only in the way it suits us, we are still being our own Lord. Isn't that true? It has to be true. Oh, by the grace of God, if we are Christians today, we must learn to say with Mary, I am the Lord's servant. May your word, not mine, may your word to me be fulfilled. Let it be to me according to your word. Not the world's word, not my word, but your word, God's word. humble submission and trusting faith. Well, the amazing thing is, when we follow the example of Mary's servant heart, Jesus tells us, you're one of the family. You're one of the family. You're part of my family. 
For Jesus has said, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Matthew 12, verse 50. Isn't that amazing? May your word to me be fulfilled. I am the Lord's servant. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, says Jesus, is my brother and sister and mother. And I think that's a grand reason, isn't it? A grand reason to glorify the Lord and rejoice in God, our Savior. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, what a, an astonishing story. What an astonishing piece of narrative, of history, of truth that brings to us the message of grace, the reminder that you are a God who always keeps his promises, whether short-term or long-term. And Father, we thank you that when, just like Mary, we are puzzled by the problem of just how exactly you will keep your promise, you come to us, assure us that you're the God for whom nothing is impossible, that no word from you will ever fail. And so in response, Father, may we be like Mary. Help us, Lord, to say that we are your humble servants. May your word be to us and be fulfilled in us. Help us, Father, we pray. The flesh is strong. The call of the world is strong. The devil tempts us. Help us to gladly and willingly and freely offer ourselves up to you again, the one whose kingdom lasts forever. Amen.